Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. My name is Kyle Krieger, and I'm super thrilled tonight to be joined by my friend Bethany Yonkers. How are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm excellent. So, Bethany and I connected because you work with CJ Reynolds, who I had on the podcast prior. So, I'm, I'm super thrilled that knowing CJ got me connected with you. <laughs> Yeah, he's a phenomenal dude, and I'm I'm super grateful I get to to work and learn from him. I'm glad we got to be connected as well. Awesome. So, so what we try to do with our podcast is just you know to bring teachers on and and give them a platform to tell their stories with the hopes that you know they can inspire other teachers and and help them add value to their craft. So, to get started tonight, could you just kind of tell your backstory of of how and why you became a teacher and, and where you're teaching at right now. Yeah, sure. So I currently teach in a, a high school, middle school in West Philadelphia. Um, and I was just one of those kids who, when I was little, like I, I used to line my stuffed animals up and um, read them stories and like assign them cl- classwork and homework. And I would read my books into those really cool recorders and like play them back. Uh, so I was one of those really cool kids and you know how I kind of my journey kind of brought me to special education um, I had a dad who um, had dyslexia and I he had gone to Catholic school and he really struggled um, both both of my parents only graduated high school and he kind of just really struggled academically and I despite everything he became like a really successful guy just and his teachers were never supportive of him. Uh, the nuns used to tell him that he was dumb and he was stupid. And so he kind of has like these h- horrific stories of what education and what school was like for him. And then in about third grade, I met a young man. His name was Glenn and he had Down syndrome and he just completely altered my world. He was the one of the funniest, uh, most caring individuals that I've ever met. And it kind of all just made sense my teachers, I think, really sculpted that in me in terms of they used to, whenever we had like peer buddies, I was always sat next to the kids who misbehaved or the kids who, you know, needed a little bit of extra help. And I I myself was never like, I worked really hard in school, but school never came easy to me. Um, So I, special ed just kind of made sense for me. And that's where I ended up. Awesome. So so yeah, like you said, so you're a female teacher at an all boys high school, which is something I definitely want to dig into a little bit later on. But we got a few more kind of just introductory questions to to ask you before we do that. So could you tell us about uh, who your favorite teacher was and why that person was your favorite teacher? Yes, my favorite teacher. So I had a first grade teacher. Her name was uh, Mrs. Zwart. And she made learning so much fun. And actually, I like I had said, I was always a struggling reader. Um, I really avoided reading. And it's crazy because to think like, oh, first grade, you were so young. But she is the teacher that just stands out in my mind. She made reading fun. She made school fun. And she really was like ki- kind and caring, but also like you didn't mess with her. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I, I remember that distinctly, uh, that she always kept all of us in line, but she also was knew when to be kind and when to really push us. Awesome. Awesome. That's a good, you know, and I can remember the, the elementary school teachers that, that I had that were the, the same way. So that's, that's awesome. Um, all right. So we, we've kind of, sometimes we struggle with this question because Apparently, people are not as into superheroes as <laughs> as me and my my uh, co-hosts usually are. But yeah. if if as a teacher, if you were a superhero or had a superpower, what mm-hmm. do you think that would be? Uh, so I I think I'm not super into like the Marvel characters, but I think I'd have to go with uh, the. Do you remember the the cartoon, the Powerpuff Girls? Mm-hmm. I do. <laughs> I, do. I I think that I would have to say they were they were the example of um, that you could exhibit strength, but also be um, extremely like feminine and kind, but not to be mistaken for weakness. And they always like 
like they worked together. So they were like, you know, girl power. And I'm all about that. So uh, I have to say that's probably who I would go with. Oh, man, we're definitely in the same. We're, we're definitely close in the in the generation because I definitely remember the Powerpuff Girls. And yeah. I don't know how close it was to the time that the Spice Girls were out because I remember uh. that being a huge thing, too. Yeah. But that's, yeah, that's that- such a fantastic answer. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. I'd never see like I expect see, and that's the problem with the question. Like me and my buddy are super into like I'm not like so into it that I've read all the comic books, but yeah. I like I see all the Marvel and the DC movies, so we expect that people are gonna be like, Oh, Batman because of blah 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 <laughs> and, and Captain America. But you know, one of our friends, uh Joe Dombrowski came on and he said he would be April O'Neil from the Ninja Turtles. Oh yeah. Like like the female reporter just because of the way <laughs> that she would look over her yellow trench coat and you know so it's been it's so fun. That's why I, that's why I keep asking the question cuz it's still so fun. Yeah, it's so fun. And it's funny the kids always say um one of the one of our guys told the told the teacher one of our other teacher coworkers um he described me as I come off very sweet and kind. Uh, there's a teacher at our school. Her name is Miss Cho, and she's really strict. Uh, she's a phenomenal teacher, and so they t- they call me Reverse Cho because they always say I come off really sweet. But then they're like, Yeah, but then you're so mean, actually. <laughs> so I feel like it totally fits. Yeah, I I feel you there. There's some. I have a a study hall that I teach is just like you know your classic like in a in the commons area study hall. And there's a, a pack of about six girls who at the start of the semester, I was you know, like really getting along with and we were having a good time. And, you know, they'd go down to my room and sne- steal snacks every once in a while or steal a coffee. And I'm like, yeah, this is all good. And then, you know, a few weeks ago, I had to start saying no to them, you know, for certain things. And that, that super did not go over well. And they said something very much similar <laughs> to me, like you used to be so nice and now you're just a jerk. <laughs> So yeah. I, f- I feel you on that. Um, yeah. All right. So to kind of get into the education piece, what do you see as the, the state of education in the United States right now? Uh, that is like an extremely heavy weighted question. I, I can go a few ways. And I think with like out trying to get into all like the politics, I think overall it's just an extreme inequality of education. And that's just kind of our current education system that we're working with. And now I've only ever taught, uh, I've taught in title one schools. That's always been my teaching experience. And so I've taught here in Philadelphia and also taught in Hawaii for two years. And so I think growing up in a school district, like I had the privilege of growing up in, um, you know, you see all of the opportunities and all of the access that I had. And then you see the state of, you know, the schools currently in Philadelphia and kind of just the, how a lot of it revolves around test performance. And I think there's just systems and structures in place that just once again, it's kind of taking away opportunities to the students who are already starting off with not having the opportunities. And I think as a teacher, that's one of the biggest frustrations is, you know, you want the best for your students and you see how hard families are working to get their students or their kids, you know, access, and it's just not there. And so for me, I think that's the the biggest issue right now is just that inequality and kind of how do you address that and how do you solve that, which is a really big question. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, I like you. I was super fortunate. I grew up in a in a really small town, you know, like our my hometown's only got like 2200 people total. You know, and it was one of those places where like I had probably a half a dozen friends in my graduating class that all of our parents graduated in the same class together. So, I mean, that's the kind of small town it was and I came from a I didn't come from I still have an incredibly you know, blessed family. Like I'm so lucky to have the family that I have. And then I went to Houston and it just was, it took me probably two or three years to really get an understanding for like what those kids go through, you know, cause where we taught was title one. And, you know, the first few times you hear the excuses and you, well, I, I call them excuses, but you hear the reasons and you start to understand, you know, what, 
a lot of those kids are really going through it, mm-hmm. it really changes your perspective on, I guess, how, how people and kids prioritize education. And I think, like you said, that's where the inequality comes from because not everybody's able to prioritize it the same way because if a kid, you know, like the example I use is I had a kid who was in eighth grade and had four younger siblings that he was responsible for. Mm. Like, and that, and that dude didn't get, didn't get to his homework until probably like 10 o'clock if he got to it at all. Yeah. And I think a lot of times you have teachers and you have big organizations like Teach for America who have people coming in to, to title one schools thinking like, you know, I know Reynolds speaks a lot about this, but oh, I like, it's a lot of times like I'm a white teacher and I'm going to come and I'm going to save all the low income students. And it's just, you have to understand where they're coming from and you have to have that empathy. But at the same time, you cannot have, you can't make it a story. You have to recognize their story and that's huge, but you also have to push them because when they leave school, nobody cares about your story. And that sounds really harsh of me to say and really mean, but, uh, it's, it's the truth. And especially the population that we teach is 99.99% African-American men. And for them, you know, it's, it's a lot. That is a conversation that you have to have with them a lot is they're already at a disadvantage. And so, you know, you've been through a lot, you are super resilient and I, and I want better for you. So how do you have that walk that line of compassion, but also that toughness too, which, you know, a lot, some teachers find it and, and you just have to kind of find it on your own. What works for me might not work for other, another teacher. It really is about finding your own voice and how you kind of, you know, push students to find their potential. Yeah. And, and I think that's a part that I didn't understand either was, I don't want to say my kids discriminated against me, but I mean, there was just not the same level of trust because we were in. A, I was in a school that was ninety percent Hispanic, you know, with the other, you know, nine, you know, ten percent being African American, and it's just I, I don't look like them, and I don't have their experiences, and I didn't come from where they came from. So there was a lot of having to, like you said, those growing pains of trying to understand where they're coming from. And, you know, by year two or three, I really realized that it was just, you know, like you said, recognizing their story. Cause I mean, one of my favorite moments of teaching down there was there was a kid who was a seventh grader. Cause I was teaching seventh grade at the time. And, you know, he played football for me, but he hadn't really talked at all. Like I hadn't really gotten to know him. And he was in the office one morning when I came to school and I went over to him I'm like, Hey, Javiante, what happened? He goes, I got in trouble outside because this boy was picking on this girl and I shoved him and he fell. Mm-hmm. And I just went, oh, all right, that's cool. Is everything good? He's like, yeah, they just want me to sit here until school starts, but everything's fine. And, you know, then from there, like that, that night at football practice, like he just wanted to be by me. Like he just wanted to talk to me. And, you know, from mm-hmm. there – his guard, you know, this is a kid who doesn't really have like a stable family home. His guardian was his school counselor at his private, at his previous school, you know, from there got moved into my class, played football, played basketball for me. And, you know, I guess now it's been two years ago, he graduated in, um, in 17 and he was getting awarded a scholarship from a credit union down there and he invited me to the ceremony like to to watch him get the scholarship and mm-hmm. that you know that just meant the world to me to and you know it's kind of like you said that I just recognize his story I think that's a really really good way to put it yeah and you know what a lot of teachers especially new teachers and I even myself every year as like a new class comes in I always stress about that relationship build piece, but Students will always give you a window in, whether it's something they say to you, they always try to gauge, uh, they have tests that they put you through, like quote unquote tests, right, that they put you through to see, one, if you're going to stick around, and two, if you actually care. And I think that students are really big, especially students coming, you know, from 
uh, lower socioeconomic status or whatever it may be, students who have more things going on in their life or even regular in normal suburban schools, I think that students will, they'll always give you an in and you just got to kind of watch for it. Yeah. And that's such a good way to put it. And I think, you know, at, like you said, with new teachers, when I was new, I, I didn't recognize that that was what it was. You know, <laughs> I, I had grown up small town, country, like, and I didn't understand, the you know, like there were times where they were joking with me and trying to give me a bad time and trying to razz me, like you said, to kind of test what I was about. <laughs> and I did, and yeah. I didn't, I didn't put two and two together that they were trying, like, that's how they communicate. And now where I teach at the high school here in Wisconsin, I teach, uh, in our alternative center, which where we have 25 at risk kids, you know, and they're the same way. Like they put me, th- this was my first year. They put me through the ringer for like a whole semester. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it, it took a semester to where they would like push buttons and yell and tell me they weren't going to do stuff. And just to see, like you said, if I would stick around and eventually, you know, they've kind of got to the point where the things they say to me, joke, you know, the, the mean things they say are now joking rather than actually like a little more mean spirited. So it's been, <laughs> yeah. it's been good. Yeah, we have. And as you kind of grow those relationships, then you can kind of start to talk to students. So I asked, I actually asked this, I posed this question to our students in the beginning of the school year. I said, what are some tests that you put stu- that you put th- uh, teachers through? And there's two students who in class, they will make bird noises. They'll call, When I say it out loud, it sounds so ridiculous, but they make like bird calls to each other. And depending how the teacher responds, whether it be through humor or whatever, they they decide in that moment how they're going to treat that teacher for the beginning of the school year. (laughs) That is their test. And like, you know, it's not something they apparently agreed upon. And it's something that they all had insight on about, you know, how they tell whether or not they're going to like a teacher. (laughs) <laughs> and, it, and it always comes down to if 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 you care about them and they are very quick to pick out authenticity so just you know be yourself is you know, a big piece of advice to, to new teachers is try to find yourself and your voice in the classroom and and bring that to your students yeah so do you think I mean just like I, I love this so do you think they're looking for someone uh, th- were they looking for a teacher to react a certain way or just to see if, you know, the teacher would react in, in, you know, that authentic way? I wonder if they could tell the difference or if they were looking for like a particular response. <laughs> yeah, they didn't really say. I, I'm sure they couldn't give away all their tricks and tips <laughs> of what they do. Uh, but I think it's it's responding. So for me, it's like, I am really good at telling terribly corny jokes like that. So I, you know, our kids always use the word like, oh, you be drawing, you know, like you're annoying or whatever. And so I always like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I don't have any pencils or drawing material. And they're like, oh, and they always roll their eyes and like, but that wouldn't work for for anyone else. Um, So I think. I think for me, if like the bird calling situation happened, you know, I probably make a reference to like wildlife or, or something, a bird. We have had birds in the sneak into the school before and that's, I've gotten them out. So I feel like right. I can reference something like that. But for me, that's that silly humor um, that works. Uh, for <laughs> right. So I kind of want to circle back to something you said right away. So you, you said that your dad, didn't have a real good educational experience, right? Yes. Did that, do you think that impacted you in, in how you viewed school or, or, you know, kind of how they, how your parents viewed school? Yeah. I, growing up in my household, school was never, I was the, I was very hard on myself. Like I didn't home A's and B's. I got one C in my entire high school school elementary career and it still stays with me trigonometry so for me school was always very important and I always like fully invested myself and I think for my parents it was uh you know I had two working parents my dad was not home a lot because he was you know trying to provide for his family and so I think 
I saw his struggles when he would try to read to me. And I think it was a motivator. I, I you know, if I really dig down deep and think about it, probably was a, a motivator for me. I always, I always liked helping other people. That's kind of serving other people and empowering other people or something that I've always enjoyed doing. And so for me, I think it was about helping my dad or reading the word for my dad. Um, and so, yeah, I would probably say that was a motivator. Yeah. You know, cause you know, like you've been talking about, you know, with the family life that these kids go to, you know, so many of them, you know, whether it's, you know, down in Houston or in Philly or, or where I'm at in Wisconsin, I mean, there, it seems like there are more and more kids who don't have parents who are really supportive of their education and, you know, really supportive of education as a whole. So I, I just worry a lot of times about, I mean, that's my biggest concern as a teacher is, you know, how do you reach those kids who are not getting the support? Cause I was incredibly supported as a student, mm. you know, like my parents, my, my mom worked at the school. She was in charge of all the computers. So I, I knew that it was important and she knew that it was important and she made sure that if I was ever in trouble that before I got home, my dad knew about it. So <laughs> that always turned out to be a little, little rougher than I wanted, but I just wanted yeah. to kind of circle back to that point. So, um, so kind of to your teaching experience, what is it like to be a female teacher at an all boys school? So, you know what, I, as a special education teacher in Philadelphia, there's a significant disproportionate amount of boys who are identified as special education. So in my teaching per- career, I've ever, I've only really ever had like four students on my caseload. Um, I started off as a learning support teacher, transitioned to an emotional support teacher, and that classroom was all boys in a co-ed school. So when I made the transition to the current school that I'm at, teaching all boys was familiar to me. And so it wasn't really anything I had to think about. I think being, I think sometimes as teachers, we discredit the intelligence of our students. Like we go in there like, oh, I'm going to teach you so much. And I think what winds up happening is really the reverse. We, we, I learn a lot from my students. And something that I've learned through my years is having those com- conversations that would normally some teachers would kind of avoid or they'd be uncomfortable, but kind of using those as a teachable moment and being appropriate about it. So for example, if a student compliments you um, and or I always have a rule, like, I don't, <laughs> like, don't touch me. Uh, and I, you know, like, they know that's my rule. Like, you know, I don't do the side hugs. I do like fist bumps or elbow bumps or, you know, high fives, whatever. But they know, like, this is my, my boundary. Don't cross it. And so they're very respectful of that. And you just need to set up those boundaries with them. But also have the conversation. So if a student crosses the boundary, explain why, like, you know, why is it that you crossed the boundary? What happens if you were in the workplace and you did this or you said something like that to a female coworker? How could that be taken? How could that be misdrewed? And so kind of having those conversations are really, is it's just really important. And I'll, I think sometimes we kind of avoid those conversations because it's like, oh, as a teacher, I don't want to get in trouble for having this conversation. But at the same time, it's really important. And it's like, it's a life lesson and it's, it's a teachable moment. So is that, because that was, you know, a question I kind of had a little further down. I mean, is that something you, you know, you strive to do is to really teach the boys how to have those appropriate, or sorry, appropriate relationships with women? Yeah, I, I'm very mindful of, you know, that I am a, a white female teaching in an all boys school that's predominantly young black boys. And I think being open to that conversation and being able to bring my perspective to things is is important, but also understanding kind of where my privilege, you know, making sure that I'm speaking from a point where I see my privilege and I'm also able to speak to that. So what do I mean by that is um, sometimes we have conversations with our guys, they, the, ma- the many masks that they wear, um, especially in special education, there's an over amount of 
boys who are identified as emotionally disturbed. And after working with the population uh, for as long as I have, they're not emotionally disturbed. I've worked uh, throughout college, I worked in group homes. So I've seen individuals who are severely emotionally disturbed. And these guys aren't. A lot of it is their interaction. It's, It's a lot of cultural understanding and being open and mindful to that. And I think that I like lost my train of thought here. <laughs> I was talking about that. Um, I think just just being a, aware and being able to kind of bring my perspective to the conversation is important. Does that make sense? Yeah, you I ramble. No, no, <laughs> that's perfect. But but like I said, it's you know it's with with the way our society is, and you know the conversation that's now taking place kind of all over about the right way to, um, you know, treat and have relationships with women and what's acceptable and what's not. I I think it's just such an interesting conversation. And I think a lot about it as a male teacher, like what is my role in, in modeling for the boys, Mm -hmm. what that relationship is like, but also, you know, to the girls, you know, how to have, you know, a, a male or a, a boy or a, a man treat you with respect, but, you know, like maintaining those boundaries. And I, it's, it's so hard for me because, you know, in our, in our class one day, a kid was talking to them, you know, they're very tight. Our kids are, you know, so they say a lot of jokes and all that stuff. And one of the boys was just saying to one of the girls, they were jokingly, he was like, Oh, you, you keep talking. We're going to throw hands, which I, I apparently means that's like a, a word for fighting. Right. Yeah. So I said to him, like, hey, I'm just like, hey, man, like, you can't say that. That's just that's just not something that you would say. And he goes, well, she knows that I'm kidding. And, you know, it turned into this whole like we had to have a whole group conversation for like 20 minutes because he was offended that I would call him out for saying that because he knows and everybody knows that he would never do that. And my teaching partner and I just had to have the conversation like but you just can't say that that's not that's not an appropriate joke and I wonder you know how many of those situations like that you see or hear kind of deal with yeah and it happens a lot uh it happens uh a lot around the word retarded um I've spoken to many students about you know why that word is hurtful to me or you know why not to use that word? And I know that's not necessarily about women, but you know, when speaking about women, I think a lot of our guys are coming from single mother homes where their the mom, their mothers are extremely strong, independent women who are raising young men. And so for me, and being a female teacher at the school, sometimes it's easier because you can play that motherly role, and they kind of gravitate to that. Whereas sometimes our male teachers who you would think would have an easier time, have a more difficult time kind of building those relationships with our, with our guys. Um, But I I think it's just, once again, just having, being open to having those conversations, like the fact that you stopped and said, Hey, like, that's not okay. Like you identified it and you, and then you explained why, and it wasn't just like, you're going to get in trouble for saying this. It's no, let's, let's have a conversation around this. Like, let's make sure you understand why this is wrong. And then I want to hear your perspective and I want to hear where you're coming from, but let me also explain where I'm coming from. And just, we often as teachers, I think just naturally try to shut things down. Like, nope, don't say that done and over with. We're not talking about it. But I think opening up that dialogue reaches into that social emotional piece that you know, is a really big word right now in education, but you don't need like a curriculum to do social emotional in your classroom. A lot of it is just connecting with your students and having those conversations and really getting to know their stories and where they're coming from and being able to kind of guide that conversation in a productive manner. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, another example of that is we have at the high school I work at, there's a lot of students, especially male students who use the term gay as this is gay Mm -hmm. or that is gay. And I don't know how many of them I've stopped and, and said, that's not, it's not appropriate. That's, that's not the right use of that word that, and they're like, well, he knows what it means, but on the same token, I, I just have to stop them from using that word. But, 
you know, you, you mentioned, you know, labels and things like that. And I noticed with my, my at risk kids is they're very, they're very hesitant to, to want people to label them as, you know, at risk or kids who couldn't cut it in this classroom or kids who do drugs or kids who do this. Do you face a lot of that where your kids feel like they're, they're labeled, whether it's fair or unfair? Um, I don't, yes and no. Uh, I think there is a lot of discussion because we are, it's one of those like double-edged swords. We're at a school that's college bound that right now our numbers are like, they're getting, we're getting a lot of guys into college who are staying in college. Our matriculation rate is like 86%, which is phenomenal compared to the city of Philadelphia. That's like less than 3% for young um, black boys. And so I think to a certain degree, the school uses that as a, Oh, look at our black, boys who are in uniforms but on the flip side of that it's also like a little bit uh degrading in the sense of like oh just because they're in suits and ties you know that they they're worth your attention or kind of like you know, I don't know if this makes sense but to the sense of that's what society should see young black men look like um you know that's the only they kind of picture that with success. And so I think that they're already fighting a label because of the society that we live in. Um, I think our guys who are labeled special education, like I said previously, or a little bit earlier, they, a lot of our guys are in special education because of the poor education that they received their K through sixth grade years. Uh, It's not because they're really special education. It's because either they had poor teachers who you know, they, they missed their second and third grade years because they didn't have a consistent teacher or they had a first year teacher or something along that lines. Um, I, I think that we do have special education students who are, are not so happy that they're labeled special education because right. a lot of times they think like, oh, that's, there's something wrong with me, but we don't really use that at risk um, identity. And so I, I think that maybe that 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 language right there is kind of putting a label on them saying like, oh, you're at risk um, when students really just want to be recognized and have that connection. And, you know, I think as teachers, that's where you can kind of step in and say, nope, like I expect more from you. You're not at risk. Like, get it together. <laughs> right. You know, and and I think, too, and, and maybe your your boys are the same way, but our kids in our program are are very tight knit. Like they will defend each other, you know, endlessly. I mean, they will give each other a bad time, like when it's just them. But if somebody from the outside, like tries to really cut them down they're they're so protective. And I think they're really protective of those labels as well, because, you know, when, when the police come through or they bring the drug dogs or there's, you know, some type of something like that, people always assume it's our kids and Mm -hmm. it, it really never is. Mm-hmm. But they've been labeled, like you said, at risk. So, so they fight those things. But it's just, you know, an interesting. I just wanted your perspective on that kind of in that, you know, with with the the boys who wear the uniform and and do those things. If it, I mean, I'm sure it impacts them in some way. But I just, on a whole, was kind of interested in that question. Yeah, we had a discussion. I had a discussion with my students about what what their interactions are like when they're in their school uniform out in the community versus what their interactions are like when they're in their street clothes in the community. And it was a eye-opening conversation for for me. And that was my second year. Uh it was my fourth year it was my fourth year teaching and my first year at this school. Um so yeah, I man, I can't imagine what they had to say. I mean, it, it must have been an interesting conversation. Yeah, it really was. And the they the fact that they all share it, you know, with they're in a store, they they stop 
in a corner store, if they're in the mall somewhere, and sometimes somebody will follow them around like they're going to steal something. But when they're in their uniforms, everyone will like wave to them or talk to them. And it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's really crazy when I say the society we live in, because I don't think that anyone, you know, as a white female, I don't see it right? It's, that's my privilege. I don't see my own privilege sometimes. And, you know, for them, it's the everyday life. It's, and that's the right. a label that they wear every single day. Right. That's, that is well said. So to kind of keep moving forward, cause I definitely want to be respectful of your time tonight. Uh, oh, yeah. what, what is the power of gratitude? Cause I love that your what's your Instagram handle again? <laughs> Polka dots of gratitude. Okay, I I love that. That's so fantastic. So so what do you feel like is the the power of gratitude and and how do you practice that with your students? Yeah, so the power of it is just keeping you really present to your blessings and kind of what we can take for granted and retraining, you know, my brain to to not focus on the things as humans I think we're naturally cynical and so it's always like I don't have this I don't have that but meanwhile you don't really realize and you're not really appreciative of the things that you do have and I think just that five minute practice in the morning of running through my list of the things that I'm grateful for kind of shift my focus for what I want to focus on for the day Uh, with students my question to them is always and it may not be necessarily having them practice gratitude but I always ask them hey like what's something good that happened in your day? And normally the response is like, nothing, nothing happened. That's good. And I said, nope, like, let's try to focus on one thing, like something really great that happened in your day. And they always come up with something, even if it's something silly, like this moment right now, oh, <laughs> which is like, that's, I got that one the other day. Um, or them eating um, a, a time that I had given them in, in my office. And so I think it's just trying to help them be present to the fact that they are getting a really great education and not something, um, you know, they may not always see it. They don't always see it their freshman year. That is a battle for them to see it. I think their senior year. And then, you know, it's so great being there after a few years because you have students or you get text messages about, I'm so appreciative for everything you did. And so I think it takes a few years, but it's kind of like putting that little bug in their brain of like, focus on something you're grateful for, or focus on something that's really good about this moment right now, and kind of helping them walk through that. So so you said you have a, a five minute gratitude practice, what does that look like specifically? Yeah, so I have a, a gratitude journal that I try to, it's, I'm re- not always really consistent with it, uh, which is not very good. But if I don't write it down at night, I try to come up with 10 things that I'm grateful for that happened either in my day or, you know, some kind, sometimes it, it can be a stretch of like, I'm grateful that I have, I'm breathing today. Cause sometimes those days happen and you're just like, Oh my goodness, this is terrible. Why do I do this to myself? Like, why do I inflict this pain (laughs) Uh, every single day? Sometimes you have those days. And I think just opening up yourself to be like, Nope, even despite all of this, I'm so grateful that I get to wake up every day and do this job and make an impact on, even if it was just something small that I did in the day, uh, so for me, that practice is literally, if, even if it's like while I'm brushing my teeth, it's just running through my head five to 10 things that I'm grateful for. Yeah, I do. I do the three things every night before I go to bed. And it, yeah. it really, you know, it seems mundane. And, you know, sometimes it's just like, like you said, it's just simple things. Like my, today, I got a video from my sister that my nephew, like, actually crawled for the first time and you know that alone is just like it's it's those kinds of things but I I do agree with you that it just I don't always keep the positive and and grateful (laughs) attitude all the time but I find it so much easier to to bring myself back around to it when the majority of the time and and not maybe not even the majority of the time but but I consistently every day am am practicing gratitude and I agree with you that it does just put you in a little bit different uh, mental space to where you're appreciative of the things you have rather than the things you don't. Yeah. And I think too, it sets, 
you know, our students feed off of us. So if I'm super excited about today, like today's going to be the best day ever, they're going to be, I mean, not as excited, but <laughs> I will try my best to make them excited. And I, I think they see that. And I think even if they pretend like they're not really excited to see you, I think deep down, I tell them all the time, I'm like, I know that you are just so happy to be here. And, you know, then I get the eye rolls and all of that. But I think sometimes school settings in general can just be places of there's a lot to complain about uh, that can be out there. And teachers like to complain a lot. <laughs> and every school has its downfalls. But I think it's fo- if you continue to focus on those, you kind of you're not you you are the only person that has the power to change that. And so if I can do that by, hey, the, our school may not have this or our students may not have this, but we have this or we, you know, and kind of changing that language and that it rather than like, oh, I have to do this. It's like, no, like I get to do this today. How cool is that? And so I think it's just that it's just those little mind shifts that kind of are really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, moving on to one of the other things I was really excited to talk to you about okay so your instagram story you always have really good vegan <laughs> food and i'm yes. i'm not a vegan i've never really tried to eat vegan but why why did you choose to to go vegan and you know what are some of the ways that you um you know make food that's good that tastes good and you know any advice you could give to people who are thinking about or are on that that route in terms of their diet? Yeah. Uh, so I chose to go, I became vegetarian in high school and I was like, oh, I'm going to save all the animals. Um, that, you know, that dream died real quick. But I I think throughout college and like into my adult life, I just became a lot more educated. And it's the logical choice once you start reading about things. And, you know, every life matters, even if it's an animal's life. You know, to me, it's it's a still a life. And so it matters. And, and I think everyone always focuses on like, oh, you're vegan, but you can't eat this and you can't eat this. But when you stop eating meat or, you you know, you stop, you give up dairy, this whole other world opens up to, you know, making cheese sauces with nutritional yeast and carrots and potatoes. Like who would have thought? Uh, and so it, be, being vegan is extremely easy. Um, I'd be so excited if somebody reached out to me and was like, I heard your podcast out with, you know, with Kyle. How can I be vegan? I'd be the happiest person. I'm such a nerd. I'd get I, hope, I hope it happens. Please, if you're listening to this, somebody reach out to her and, um, and make her day. Yeah, right. You would make my list of gratitude. Uh, so it's it's really easy. Uh, I usually do like meal preps on Sunday nights and I make like I roast a bunch of vegetables or I kind of just like make stuff for the week. Um, it's I really can't emphasize that it's so easy and it's not expensive. It gets expensive when you start buying like the fake vegan meat mock meat and all of that. But there's so other many ways to make good food that does not have meat and dairy in it. And it's all cruelty free, which you can sleep well at night. <laughs> nice. Awesome. Awesome. So to try to wrap it up here, because we've been going for almost 45 minutes now, but I could, mm-hmm. I mean, I could, I could talk to you all day if I had the chance. So, um, and this can be in education or outside of education. What are you most passionate about right now? Uh, right now, I think I kind of, my concern is that's larger than me right now is just really focusing on serving youth um, and kind of how that has taken shape is through my school um, and just, you know, taking students to opportunities outside of school, helping them really find their own passions and kind of leading them to see their potential. Um, I think right now for me that I'm really lucky in the sense that every day I get to wake up and do what I'm really passionate about. And so I may be at school for 12 hours sometimes, but that's because that's my choice and I'm passionate about it. And if you know me and you're one of my friends, you know, all my students and you know, their names and you know, everything that's going on. Cause it's only thing I talk about. <laughs> uh, so I, I, what I'm doing right now is what I'm passionate about. And so I'm very, very grateful for that. Do you want to talk a little bit about your uh, your trip to Belize? Because I, I don't know a lot of people are following you, but I mean, that was so cool to see what you guys did with those guys when you went to Belize. 
Yeah. So we were lucky enough. Uh, Reynolds had set up a trip last year to Costa Rica. And so this year we, we used a, a co- company called EF and we took a group of students to Belize and I've been traveling the last few years. Um, and I, this by far has been my best experience. Just getting to be the person that students have like first time experiences with is like everything they did. I was like, they're so cute. And normally in school, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, like, you know, <laughs> I just want to yell at you right now because you're not doing what I need you to do. But in Belize, it was like everything they did was just adorable. And we had, it was so neat to get to see them out of their element and kind of how they bring one student in particular. One day we went snorkeling and he was really mad because our schedule had gotten changed around. And he was just like, uh, he was being really negative about it. And so we were like, this is the first time you're going to put your face underwater. This is the first time in your life you're going to do this. Like, get stoked about it. Like, be so excited. And we get into the water and I look over at him and I was like, you know, I said, you're scared right now, aren't you? And he's like, low key, I'm not even going to front. I'm petrified right now. So instead of just being like being vulnerable and being like, I'm really scared to do this, he tried to be like all tough and mean about it. And then we're in the in the water and he puts his face underwater and he was like, yo, I'm seeing, I don't know if I can curse, but he was like, I'm seeing shit I've never seen before. <laughs> it's just like, you know, it's just one of those moments that is just like, oh, like you have to teach our guys to understand what a huge moment that was for him. And just being a part of that, literally the whole trip was just like belly laughs. And it was such a good time. It was so great. Yeah. Great to be able to. I mean, that was awesome. I think one of my favorite, I don't know if it was on your story or on Reynolds story was, you know, like they were trying like chocolate that was made in Belize <laughs> and, and none of them liked it. I, I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, that I that was probably on both of our stories. Our one student, uh, Max, that came with us was his faces were were just hilarious, and it was like raw cacao. And so, as a vegan, I'm so used to eating raw chocolate that I was like, "This is so good! This is the best thing ever!" And they were just like, "What is wrong with you? This is disgusting!" And so, literally, every day was just such an adventure and so much fun. No, oh, awesome. All right. So to, what's the best advice you've been given and who was that person who gave it to you? Uh, probably the best advice. So we have a CEO at our school. He was our former principal. His name is Noah Tennant. And he is just a phenomenal leader with such a big heart and such a great vision. And it was the year that I made the decision to leave to leave the school the first time. Uh, I moved to Hawaii and I just had the opportunity to move there. And he said to me, I was really struggling with whether or not to leave because I, I really love the school. And he said to me, he was like, regret is a terrible thing. And to me, kind of how I took that is like, take risks. Uh, they may not always end up going a certain way, but I think not taking it is always worse. So, you know, I think it applies to everything, whether you're teaching, like take the risk. If there's a lesson you want to do, but you don't know, like it could be a really big fail, but who cares? Like your kids will have a blast probably doing it. And then (laughs) if it goes really terrible, you can use it as a teaching lesson. Like this is why we shouldn't do this children. Uh, So I think, you know, just anything, just regret is a terrible thing and just take the risk, make, make the leap. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing too, you know, for me when I when I went to Houston, there was always I always kind of knew in the back of my head like I could always move back. Now, did I <laughs> did I plan on moving back? No, but I mean, it I'm I'm glad I did, you know, the risk there too, but even, you know, last spring when I started thinking about moving back, you know, I kind of had that in my head too, like if I move back to Wisconsin and I don't like it and it's not for me, I can go back. Yep. There's nothing that says I, I can't go back. And I think I, I would have regretted not, um, you know, spending as much time as I have with my nephews and my family. So it's been, uh, it's been a great year and my sister's getting married on Saturday and I get to be a part of all of those festivities. So it's all in all, it's been a good year. So. Awesome. See, good thing you, you took the risk. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, uh, a couple more questions before we let you go here. What is your proudest? Of most or your your most uh, hold on proudest accomplishment today i was trying to say most proud but that didn't sound right <laughs> in my head 
That's so. okay. Sometimes speaking is hard at the end of the day when you've yep. been talking all day. Um, proudest accomplishment to date. So I probably, I, I finished my master's degree. Um, and for me, that's a big deal. I'm the only person in my family to have graduated uh, college. And so to go on to get my master's was a pretty big deal for me. And just, um, you know, I think for myself and for my, for my family. So I'll stick with that one. Awesome. So for the people that want to follow you and learn about vegan cooking and gratitude, where's the, where's the best place that they can find you? Yeah. So I'm probably most active on Instagram. I do have a blog. It's called uh, post polka dots of gratitude, um, dot com, And on Instagram, it's polka dots of gratitude. Um, I have a Twitter. I'm not very active on Twitter. Um, I don't tweet a lot, but it's dots of gratitude. And so those are the places you can find me. Yeah, I think I have a, a Twitter as well, but I haven't been on it in, in <laughs> yeah. forever. I like, so. I, yeah, like I like other people's tweets. I just don't really have a lot to, to yeah. repeat. Right, right. <laughs> so, all right. Well, um, we I really appreciate you taking some time tonight uh, to have a chat with me. I really enjoyed the conversation. And um, our last question is the one that you were talking about that was going to befuddle you. So I'm going to ask it. What do you want your <laughs> legacy to be? You know what? I left. So I know you were making fun of me because you were like, don't prepare. But in true teacher fashion, my OCD, I had to prepare like some thoughts and question uh, to these questions. And that one is still blank. I have no bullet points. Um, I have nothing to say in regard. I have nothing prepared. So this is completely winging it. Uh, I think my lasting legacy is just you know, like that I made a difference in someone's life, whether it was like I made someone laugh or I bought somebody pizza on a bad day. Like no matter what it was, I'm hoping that that's what I'm hoping I taught someone something along the way, but also too, that I just, I made a difference and I helped empower somebody or helped somebody find their potential when they maybe didn't see it. Awesome. Bethany Yonkers, thank you so much for spending time with us. Of course. Thank you so much, Kyle. I really appreciate it.